seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know what happened at all. Well, so how did you sorry. get it figured out then? I, I give up, but it works. Dude, so. Just you, you. I know what happened is you. You can't get the dang Cool Ranch Doritos dust powder all over your keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. You're funny. Funny guy. Welcome to this FilmNerds.com roundtable podcast discussion. Today we're going to be talking about The Social Network, one of the most buzzed about movies so far this year. I'm your host, Matt Scalisi, and before we begin, uh, I just want to apologize for my voice to everybody. I sacrificed my vocal cords last night for the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide, but uh, I'll do my best to try and stay audible during this discussion. I might I might need a, a little help. So lots to talk about here, guys. Uh, but I want to start with the screenplay because I think it's probably the most uh, talked about element of this movie, at least what I think is sort of grabbing the initial buzz. Uh, Graham, I know you've, you've had a chance to talk about this movie a good bit uh, already on television, on Twitter. I know you've said... Uh, one of the things I've heard you say is you feel like the movie's maybe lacking a little bit in in uh, emotional content, but just regardless of that, and we'll get into that later. Talk about just the structure and the dialogue. I mean, is as far as that goes, do you feel like this is the strongest screenplay we've seen this year, and maybe maybe the front runner right now for the screenplay Oscar? It is the front runner for the best adapted screenplay Oscar, right. and like like I said on TV. I, I still consider Inception to be the best film of the year. And if, if we, you know, if it was just a best screenplay award, I would probably still give it to Inception just because it was such an original idea. But I would totally vote for this in the adapted category. Absolutely. Well, you know, and I, and I will get into that comparison between those two movies as we go along here. But, I mean... You know, I've I, as somebody who's I, I've been a fan of Aaron Sorkin's work for a long time. I've, I'm probably between the three of us. I'm betting I'm the only one that's seen uh, all of his, all three of his uh, network TV series all the way through uh, Sports Night, The West Wing, and Studio 60. And I feel like I'm pretty familiar with his with his uh, writing style, and it's definitely a pretty distinctive voice. But I definitely feel like this is a cut above even the work he's done to date so far. And he's done some great uh, film work as well, obviously. Um, but, but to me, to me, the, the, and I talk about structure before, it's really interesting to me that he chose to do this in not only the, the, the flashback, uh, you know, format, but it's also, it's, it's being told as flashbacks from sort of two uh, simultaneously ongoing court cases, I guess, and, you know, we're seeing it from so many different angles and so many different perspectives. Uh, and I didn't feel like we ever really got lost, which I think is if we want to keep comparing this to Inception, the other most talked about movie this year. Those are two movies that are dealing with there's a lot of stuff going on at the same time. And we never really get lost because of how strong the screenplays are. 
you know, Corey, I guess talk about the way that this story develops on screen and, and particularly, I mean, I, the, the dialogue, I know you and I both, we saw this movie together. It, it was, uh, you know, there are definitely some, some laugh out loud moments in the screenplay, not just from jokey moments, but I mean, it's just so dang clever. Right. Right. Um, on the show yesterday, uh, we were talking about this and I, I said something along the lines of, you know, Aaron Sorkin has been compared to the great screenwriter, Petty Chayefsky for most of his career in both his television work and his film work. I think the social network is really his first grand slam home run in film. I'm a big fan of the West wing. I like the American president. I like Charlie Wilson's war. Um, but I think that this is probably his most accomplished screenplay for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. He takes a a true story that is is pretty complicated and and to be honest, pretty inside baseball. You know, who who would think that like the creation of Facebook and the coding involved there could be so compelling? But he he makes. I mean, he essentially just shoots this movie out of a cannon. It moves so quickly, uh, and it 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 just. I mean, I think that's what this movie has going for it is it, is its pace. It's cleverness. I mean, I absolutely do think this is this is Aaron Sorkin's best and or most accomplished film work to date. Um, and it certainly doesn't help or it doesn't hurt that uh, it's performed so capably uh, and directed with such uh, a fleet hand by David Fincher. And one of the other things that we're probably hearing the most, you know, buzz about coming from this movie, other performances, and you know, probably the most of that's coming for Jesse Eisenberg. I think mostly because this is such a new uh, territory for him to play something other than the kind of mumblecore hero, I guess. But I thought there were two smaller performances in this movie that really blew me away, and that was Rooney Mara and uh, Army Hammer, who play the, uh, the the girlfriend, and then uh, Army Hammer playing the the Winklevoss twins via some digital technology. Uh, Graham, were there, you know, I guess talk about those performances, but also were there any others in this movie that really stood out to you in terms of performances? Well, I find it interesting that, you you know, you, you bring up those two when a lot of people, or three rather, when a lot of people were talking about Justin Timberlake. Uh, well, I certainly think it's noteworthy. I mean, he's, he's a big star, so that's going to get noticed. But, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like Justin Timberlake has a little bit of that uh, that slam dunk material. You know, he's a he's a bombastic character, and it's 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 a little bit easier for him to shine in that role than than some of you know. I certainly think you give you give Rooney Mara basically three scenes in the movie, and she makes such a strong impression. I mean, she's sort of driving you know the Zuckerberg character just from those three scenes. They you know they're very very key in the movie. Well, no, I mean, I, you know, it wasn't my, I think that Jesse Eisenberg is the highlight of the movie, but I think that Timberlake, you know, give him a lot of credit for doing really well with an Aaron Sorkin script, you know, because a lot of times the dialogue will outshine the actor. A lot of times it'll be vice versa, but I think in this case, he performed in such a way with the words where it just was pretty much seamless, and he uh, allowed the narrative to progress. Um, so you got to give him credit for that. I think that, it, you know, you say it was like bombastic um, or showy role or performance. I think that, that he it was just another piece of the puzzle. 
Um, and so I do give him a lot of credit. I'm not so, I'm not talking about Oscar nominations or anything though. Well, I, what yep. I really liked about his performance, actually, I mean, and it is it is the way the character's written, but I I love about that character that he's so uh, unflinchingly confident, I guess, for most of the time that we see him. And then there's we sort of start to get these clues that he's got these, uh, you know, this paranoia and these these real weaknesses. He's really, at the end of the day, he's, he's a very weak guy that, you know, and that confidence seems to be kind of a front. And I think the few moments where we're supposed to realize that, I think Timberlake really sold those moments really well, especially, the, the you know, the scene when... Uh, when Saverine is is sort of blowing up in the Facebook office, and uh, you know Justin Timberlake's character is supposed to be sort of talking tough and and really kind of uh, you know I, I guess enjoying the fact that he's that he's torn this guy down and, and kicked him out of the company, and then you know when when he sort of flinches when Saverine comes at him, I thought that was a really nice moment uh, that you know that was handled pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Corey, I want to I want to talk to you about David Fincher here because I know you were a big proponent of of Zodiac. Not really sure how you felt about Benjamin Button. I seem to remember you were pretty high on that too. So obviously, you're somebody that holds David Fincher's work, especially his recent work, in pretty high regard. Um, where does this movie sit for you in his filmography? And and you know, I guess do you is there anything? I guess that that you would consider a progression for him in this movie. Is this a step forward or in a new direction for David Fincher? You know, I've seen this movie three times now, um, and I still don't know where I'd rank it in terms of Fincher's filmography, other than to say I think his past three films, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, and this, are probably his most accomplished work. Um, But also, he sort of in these past three films, uh, dials down what had previously been thought of as, as the David Fincher auteur marks that sort of permeated films like uh, Fight Club, The Game, and, and Panic Room. Uh, less, less so in Seven, but you get some of that there, too. Um, but, I mean, I, I think this is, this is the Aaron Sorkin show, this film, to be honest. And while you have... Uh, Little bits, uh, little Fincher trademarks here and there. It's not really something like uh, Zodiac or even Benjamin Button, where you can you can look at it and and tell immediately who directed it. In my opinion, that said, I mean that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, certainly not in the case of this movie, where I mean this is a very good movie, uh, and I don't think anybody could have done this and kept it moving with the pace that it has, uh, like David Fincher. Um, and plus, you've got to give him, give him some credit for the great casting because, uh, I mean, I think I also said on the show yesterday, this is the sort of cast that in 20 years uh, people are going to look back on and say, wow, I can't believe all of these were in one movie. Yeah, and, you know, I you mentioned the David Fincher trademarks. I mean, to me, really, the, the scene that I remember going, yeah, that's that's definitely David Fincher all over that is really the, the the club scene that I guess comes about three quarters of the way through the movie. To me, that, yeah. that was most like everything else that he's done so far, and I felt like that was a really, I mean, it was a really important scene in the in the story. But I feel like execution wise, he was all over that. I mean, Graham, how did you feel about I guess style style wise how how Fincher handled this movie? Uh, beautifully. Uh, <laughs> 
You know, I mean, it, it's a movie where you know, I think we were all we were all surprised a little bit. I know I was when we found out he was going to take on this project. Um, but it seems like he just decided. He said, "I'm going to direct this screenplay, and it's not about me. It's about the script. It's about the topic. You know, it's about the this moment in history." Uh, and he said, "You know what? Let's just let's make this screenplay." And you do see, like Corey said, a lot of the, the visual elements that we've seen before, as far as uh, as far as the uh, the lighting. You know, especially an example. The best example would be that party scene uh, near the end of the movie at the sorority house, where you get these like deep browns and orangey kind of uh, looking scenes that rem- are reminiscent of Fight Club and some se- some of Seven. Uh, but you know, it just seems like he was here to to get the job done shoot, you know, shoot for the edit, and, um, you know, when you look at the 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 effects that were done to uh, create this identical twins situation, that's mind-blowing, that, that kind of effects work is on the level of, like, Avatar or something like that, but for such a practical reason, I mean, Ben Stark would always talk about uh, practical effects in Zodiac, and I disagreed with him, but here, they put a lot of effort into something that, you know, could have been achieved by just getting actual identical twins to play that, to play those roles. But they decided to, to be creative and use technology to really accomplish something unique and special. Yeah. And I, I mean, look, I thought, I thought it was so strong and I recognized army hammer uh, having, and I, and I couldn't have told you where, where I'd seen him before. It turns out I, I've looked it up and I, I think the only thing I'd ever seen him in before this was the show Reaper. Uh, where he played the son of the devil, and it, it was actually kind of a similar character to the Winklevoss twins. But he, uh, you know, he was definitely watching the movie unaware that it was uh, an actor playing two roles. I can honestly tell you, I didn't know. I mean, I, I, I got to the end of the movie and I had to look in the credits before I really realized that it was that it was played by one guy. And uh, to me... I'd I'd be interested to go back and watch and Corey, you maybe you can tell me this since you've seen it more than once. I mean, uh-huh. how often when you're really trying to look, how often are you able to detect which of the two uh, is is the real actor and which is the one with the digital face replacement? Uh, not at all. I mean, and I looked uh, on the second viewing and then the third viewing. I mean, there are some situations where. Uh, you might think that the uh, the lighting on one of the brothers is a, is a bit unusual, uh, which I suppose could be a byproduct of the digital face replacement. But um, it seems pretty seamless to me. And uh, you know, as somebody who was looking for that sort of thing, and and I I couldn't spot it. The only reason that I I probably knew what to look for uh, in the first place was was knowing which of the brothers was portrayed by the face replacement double um which was is it I think the same one every time i think so. yeah i think it's tyler the you know the more aggressive of the two um and uh it's yeah and, you know the scenes where that that character is wearing like a headband and sunglasses and i you know, question uh if that's a practical way around I don't know, some shortcomings of the technology, but then, you know, it doesn't appear to be. And, uh, I mean, quite frankly, Ben said this on the show yesterday. He said that it, it looks like he thought this was one of the the best special effects in any film ever. Um, 
And, you know, I'm inclined to agree with that because you just don't notice it. You don't notice the execution, and it's only afterwards when you find out what they did that you're just so stunned by it. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think you're right. That that's how that's the mark of a great special effect is that I think if you I think if you asked you know, if you asked everybody that saw the movie whether it was twins or not or even you know even even knowing that and looking at it and not being able to tell, you you, you know, that's that's the mark of a great special effect. Not being able to obviously pick it out and see it. Um I want to mention the music really quickly too, because I think Fincher's films have always handled music pretty well, and you know, probably due to his music video background. But I really felt like he nailed the the musical choices here. The the cues, Trent Reznor's score, is just uh, so perfect for this movie. I feel like it's just it's just right for every scene, and there's so many scenes that are greatly improved by the music. Uh, Graham, talk a little bit about the music in this film. Not not just Reznor's score, but I guess some of the some of the uh, source music choices too. Um. Well, the music, uh, and I'm not sure if this track that I'm referencing here is by Trent Reznor. Um. You might, you guys might be able to clarify, it, or if it was some other piece of music that they picked up for the movie. But a lot of people are talking about the club scene uh, in San Francisco, where there's this long jib shot. Uh, through the dance floor and up to the little VIP area where Sean Parker and Mark Zuckerberg are talking. And during this scene, the music is played at a deafening audio level, deafening volume. <laughs> and uh, they're having a conversation, but they're literally having to yell over the music. And it's, you know, a really interesting way to, to present the scene and to direct the scene, I'm sure, is that they wanted it to be this uh, this. They wanted to recreate the environment where you're in a club, a dance club, probably late at night, midnight, and you're having a, like a real deep conversation with somebody that, that has to be yelled in order in order for it to be uh, heard. So on Jimmy Fallon the other night, they actually talked about this uh, when Timberlake was on with him, and they said that the scene was actually shot without music playing, and that they <laughs> just had to do the scene over and over again, yelling like, "This is how I've been a dancer." You know, it's just really a, that's a special effect in itself, yeah. right there. You know, where you're 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 creating an illusion using sound and image. You know, and that's just another kind of cool practical thing that resulted in a really neat moment for me. Um, I didn't know if you guys had any opinions on that. Yeah, scene. I I know. I mean, I thought at the time it's really well mixed because I mean, you there are there are scenes. I know I've seen you know similar scenes play out in movies and TV shows before where characters are yelling over music at each other and usually their voices are mixed very uh you know very high i guess you would say they're, they're it's it's pretty easy to hear them even though they're yelling and it, it's easy to pick their voices out and it's actually the way they mix this scene you almost feel like sort of leaning forward in your chair to hear them because right. it, it, it's it's mixed as though you're sitting there with them and it is actually difficult to hear them even though you're yelling it's just difficult enough that you have to really pay attention to what they're saying to get it, and you kind of have to watch their mouth a little bit. It, it really, it's so well, it's so well done in terms of, like I said, the audio mixing. It really worked well for me, and and actually the the opening scene of the movie is kind of similar to that as well. It's very loud, you know, them being in that pub and and uh, yeah. trying to talk to each other. Yep. And they talk so quickly in that scene too, you know, which is a characteristic I think of of all Aaron Sorkin stuff, but. 
But I, just the sound mixing in general throughout the film is pretty excellent, just that, in a way that it highlights the dialogue and makes uh, all this quick dialogue seem clearer than it might normally. So hats off to them. We're calling front runner for the sound mixing Oscar. <laughs> Handicapping. <laughs> that'll probably still be. That'll probably still be Inception, to be honest. Who knows, man? Can. Whatever. I, 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 I honestly. I, I know so little about the criteria to, you know, used to judge such things, but uh, to me, this was this was a case where it's it's noticeable for me, a lay person, to the process. Well, and you mentioned Inception again. We keep dancing around it. I, I want to sort of finish our conversation with that, and you know, I think that's going to be the big debate going forward. There's some there's some movies that still will have their voices heard in this race of. Of what's going to be the best picture front runner? For one, I think Black Swan could get involved in the conversation. We'll see. But right now, I think the debate is going to be, you know, between Inception and The Social Network as far as which which of these two movies is the best picture of the year. And I think they're both very unique movies. They're both movies that feel like they really came at the right time uh, and and spoke to the audience at the exact right moment. Um, you know, I want to hear everybody's take about, you know, a couple, with, with a little bit of space now from having our first viewing of the social network, uh, what do you guys think are the advantages either one has over the other? Is there one that has clearly established itself to you as the better film, as the best picture front runner? Graham, let's start with you. I, I'm with Inception personally, um, you know, because when I walked out of that movie, I, I just felt like I'd seen something really special. Um, when I saw, when I walked out of the social network, or ran out actually, because I had to run back to the office, uh, I I felt like I'd just seen, you know, something that was very urgent, immediate, fresh, and just really well done piece of work. I mean, I want to, I'm going to see it again uh, to, to, you know, to watch it from a different perspective. You know, the second time's often different. But, I don't know. It's just that I get that feeling after Inception that I get, you know, not that I don't get very often where I feel like, uh, you know, I just saw the best movie of the year and it was just, it just hit me immediately. And with the social network, I said, okay, that's a top tenner. Corey, what do you think? Hmm. I mean, to be honest, neither of those movies are my favorite movie of the year so far. <laughs> What's your favorite? Uh, uh, it's Scott Pilgrim still, but Winter's Bone and, and A Prophet are close. Um, I mean, they're both in my top ten. They're both great. I'd be okay if either of them won uh, one Best Picture. Well, let's talk about it from that perspective just to sure. limit ourselves. Because, look, I, I love Scott Pilgrim, too, but I don't think it's got any shot at a Best Picture. No, none at all. None at all. Right. Which is a shame because it's great, uh, but it just needed to make you know some money before it could even be considered for any awards, and it certainly didn't do that. Uh, I mean, this has been a really good year for movies, uh, especially these sort of... Uh, visionary movies from from auteurs that sort of come out of, come out of nowhere. I mean, I love a social the social network. I love Inception. I love Shutter Island. Um I think that Pixar had a home run with Toy Story 3. Um and then, you know, there are some indie movies like Winter's Bone and The Kids Are All Right that are just excellent uh and all deserve to be in the conversation. Um you know, to be to be frank, it's kind of hard for me to 
say where I think the social network needs to be in terms of the conversation because uh, even after three viewings, I, you know, I don't really know where it should be in terms of my personal rankings, uh, in terms of Fincher's filmography, or even, you know, in the Oscar conversation. All I know is that I want to keep watching it, uh, which is a strange reaction for me, but it's, it's, it was so much fun and just so, such a propulsive movie uh, that it's kind of hard for me to, to say either way where I think it should be. Now, I think it's got the you know ad- adapted screenplay in the bag. I think Jesse Eisenberg and one of the supporting actors, more than likely Andrew Garfield, are going to be in the conversation. Um, and that's, you know, that's all great. You know, David Fincher, for bringing such an unusual project to, to the screen, will probably be in the conversation for Best Director. Um, you know, and, and it is Best Picture worthy, but... You know, I just feel like there are still so many movies that I want to see before I can make any strong determination about its deserving, you know, the, the award, other than to say, you know, it probably does at this point. If Oscars were given out tomorrow, I think that the Academy would go for this movie um, without hesitation. But, you know, there's still a lot coming out. There's still a lot that nobody has seen. And um, I don't know if you guys... Well, Matt, I know you've only seen it once at the press screen, but seeing it uh, commercially, there is an extended, longer trailer for the Coen Brothers' True Grit with actual dialogue, and uh, it looks pretty awesome, and nobody's seen that yet, so it's kind of hard um, to You're say right. either way. Oh, yeah, there's look, there are many, there are going to be Best Picture nominees uh, that have not yet been released as we're recording this, so I, I fully expect that there could be a, a wrinkle in the plan here, but let me let me tell you why I think what I think the social network has going for it as far as an Oscar contender. Uh, you know, you look at the last the last few years, and, and uh, you know, tr- trends don't always hold up at the Oscars, but uh, I, I feel like what is, what is working with Academy voters the last several years here is more personal stories, you know, things that things that have to do with uh, a, a small group of characters, character-driven story. And I, I think Inception is a really interesting, really well done movie. And I can't, I can't knock it for what it is, but I do think that it's not really a movie about characters. It's more a conceptually driven movie. And I think, I think what the Social Network has for it is it's got. Uh, it's got a group of characters that are all very uh, well-rounded, very deep characters with a lot going on, uh, and the characters are are really what drives this movie forward. And you know, in their behavior and their relationships with each other, rather than a movie like Inception, which is really uh, as much a visual masterpiece as it is, it's it's not really a story about the characters. And I think if you look at the Hurt Locker. Uh, if you look at Slumdog Millionaire, you know those are to me those are character-driven films, uh, and, and I I think I certainly think Inception's going to be nominated. It's going to make a big push, just like Avatar did last year, uh, and I think it has a lot more going for it than Avatar. But I I I think uh, you know it's it's a it's a rarity when Oscar goes for the big budget special effects-driven movie. I don't know. I mean, what do you think about that? Uh, now, wait a minute, though. Wait a minute. I mean, don't call Avatar, I mean, Inception, a big-budget special effects. No, it's not special effects-driven, but it, it is a big-budget movie. Sure. 
and it made its budget back. You know, it's made God, I don't know how much around the world. It obviously has a, a deep connection with a lot of people. Oh, look, I, I don't mean to sound like I'm knocking Inception because I really like it. Like I said, I think for what it is, it, it knocked it out of the park. And, and I think I, all I'm saying is I think it, it is definitely a different kind of movie than The Social Network is. And I think The Social Network in that sort of uh, – and, and I'm sure it has a huge budget too, by the way. But, but you know, I guess genre-wise, we're talking about a, a, a character-driven movie – and that seems to be holding sway with Oscar voters, at least the last, you know, the last few years here anyway. Yep. Well, I don't I, know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm notoriously awful at picking the best picture winner, as, as Corey can attest to. <laughs> when I swore up and down every street in town that Slumdog Millionaire had no chance to win. So. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of that even still. Yeah. When Let Corey, me ask, can I ask a question real quick? Yeah, man. So I just wanted to, you know, take this conversation in a different direction real quick. Like, Corey, I mean, why have you seen The Social Network three times in the, before the end of the first weekend? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I saw it at the press screening on Thursday night with Matt and Ben, and, and before I even knew that I had, we were invited to that, uh, I had committed to go, seeing it, go see it at midnight with a group of friends. So I did that because I enjoyed the movie so much. And then Friday night... Uh, Kathleen and I went to see Let Me In, and as soon as we walked out of that, we realized the social network was starting, and she hadn't seen it, and I was, you know, I was like, what the hell, we're already here. So you double-dipped, uh, you double-dipped, yeah, we, right? Well, we paid for it, we paid for it. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so we, we didn't just walk in, I I feel bad about doing that for some reason, even though it totally would have been possible, because it was, it was literally right across the hall at the Cobb. <laughs> well, okay, th- you know, this movie... It takes place in 2003, 2004. You know, I remember first logging on to Facebook, hearing about it, and I think autumn of 2004 is when it finally trickled to Alabama. I mean, how did it, did it kind of, is this movie like a time capsule for you guys? I mean, how did it feel, uh, you know, as a user on yeah. Facebook? See, to me, Graham, I, you know, and, and you and I were were uh, in school when that happened together, and I, I remember you talking about it. I remember a lot of people talking about it. And, you know, funny enough, because I actually, as my day job, work with social media as my, that's what I do all day at work now. But I was a late adopter. I mean, I I did not join Facebook when I was in college uh, because I didn't buy into it. I didn't think it sounded like a good idea. I didn't think it's, it was something that would benefit me in any way. And, uh, you know, obviously, once I did get onto it, I took to it immediately. But I remember, I, I definitely remember it coming online. And it sort of makes sense to me, I guess, why I didn't want to be a part of it. Because I'm, I'm not a tremendously uh, social person to begin with. You know, I like to be cut off from everybody else a little bit when I want to be. So, uh, but, but I do, I do just hearing them talk about it and hearing uh, talk, you know, hearing them talk about it expanding, especially the scene where you see uh, him. I guess they're they're watching Bill Gates speak, and Savarine's the girl that will become his girlfriend, sort of leans over to them and says, "Hey, Facebook me," and you know, and it's like a big moment for them. Uh, that that was sort of reminiscent for me of college because I do remember that 
happening. You know, I remember people telling me to find them on Facebook or, or Facebook them when I was in school and thinking, God, I have no idea, you know, I don't understand what, what this thing is or why people are so into it. Corey, you were probably in high school when Facebook started, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I got my Facebook account in spring of 2005 uh, when I got my Bama email address because, you know, of course, back then you couldn't get a profile unless you had a college email account. So uh, just as soon as I, I guess, was about to graduate from high school is when I signed up. And, uh, I mean, it is the movie does serve as sort of an interesting time capsule, though only in brief because, I mean, it's just kind of amusing to see what Facebook used to be and to see this this sort of uh, idea of exclusivity that it's all but abandoned by this point because, I mean, you know, now people have aunts and uncles and parents and grandparents on Facebook who are counting them for cursing or whatever, uh, which yeah. is unfortunate. I think they should have had an ending. Like, they should have had another ending after the title cards when they're coming up, you know, telling you how much everybody made off of it. They should have had another shot, like the equivalent of the end of Casino, where it's all the old people in uh, windsuits walking in, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just ruining it for everybody. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, that would have been awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting to me because, you know, part it's, it's like I said, it's part of my job now, and I uh, I have to keep up with, any kind, you know, all these new changes and improvements they keep making and everything new to it because it's going to affect, you know, what I do for my clients and everything. And that's that's really amazing to me. And it sort of gives me a little perspective watching the character in this movie because, you know, they've got basically the second most successful invention in the history of the Internet on their hands, right behind Google, basically. And... They're not, like, content to sit on it. They don't want to leave it as it is, even though, by the way, every time they change it, everybody complains about it. Everybody says, why are you changing <laughs> Facebook? It's perfect like it is. But they keep making changes. They're not content to, to let it sit and and uh, and get stagnant, I guess. They're constantly improving it. And that's, you know, if if the real Mark Zuckerberg is anything like the character in the movie at all, you know, it's pretty obvious he's he's very driven – you know, kind of weirdly driven to keep expanding it. He'll never be happy. He'll never say we've gotten there because they'll always have that mentality. Like like the Sean Parker character says, you know, it's not a million dollars isn't cool. A billion dollars is. And now, of course, they're worth more than a billion dollars. So, you know, what will it be next? It, it's going to be why take a billion when you can take 10 billion or 100 billion. So, I mean, they haven't stopped growing yet. And, you know, they're terrifying to every every major technology company. I mean, Google Google's scared of them now. And, and uh, you know, Google's supposedly trying to push this screenplay out there that's about the making of Google, too. But, it's, you know, I, I don't see I don't see it capturing the imagination of people because as, as big a deal as Google is, Facebook has Facebook is a, uh, a very personal phenomenon. I mean, it has changed the lives, uh, I mean, it's changed the way people communicate with each other, and, and Google is a big deal, and we all use it, but I don't feel like it's a societal change, the way that Facebook has been. Right. Can I uh, can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Um, so, there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not this movie does, does capture 
the personality of Mark Zuckerberg as it truly is, and whether or not it you know plays fast and loose with some of the facts, does that detract from your enjoyment of the movie? Or potentially, if we found out next week that you know if Eduardo Savern came out and was like, "Hey guys, you know this is not realistic at all," does that make it any less of a movie? And isn't that I guess that's kind of the eternal question whenever a movie like this comes out you know, a prestige project that's loosely based on real life and is dramatically compelling, but might not have anything to do with, uh, well, with what actually happened. Well, I read the book earlier this summer, um, the book that the movie that Aaron Sorkin's screenplay is based upon. Uh-huh. And, you know, like the movie, the book says Mark Zuckerberg did not cooperate. Mark Zuckerberg did not, you know, he was did not agree to be interviewed for this project, et cetera. And so the book, like the movie, kind of states this is fictionalized. You know, the, the the subject, this isn't like the story because the real, real, real story because the guy didn't even participate. They admit that Saverin did did work with the author of the book. So you're getting his side of it. But, you know, if it, if it says, you know, I'm fiction, then I... You know, no matter what came out later, it wouldn't really hurt it for me because the movie, you know, announced its own identity, and it wasn't trying to pretend that it was the official Mark Zuckerberg biography. So I, it doesn't bother me. I think it's it is what it is. It's a self-contained uh, piece of art. Yeah, I really don't care either. I mean, I I don't uh, I, I I've never gotten hung up on this idea that that somehow a fact being wrong or you know, anything like that sort of ruins a movie that has its basis in reality because, you know, the fact that you're shooting it with actors means it's not completely accurate. It's never going to be accurate. If Mark Zuckerberg had participated, it still wouldn't be totally accurate because you're only getting people's subjective, uh, you know, perspectives about it, basically. And, and, you know, unless it's a documentary, and even then, some people would make the argument documentaries are subjective in some fashion because of editing, but it's it, it doesn't bother me. I mean, it's 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 a story. It's got to be compelling. The characters and everything they do has to make sense within the movie. And, and when you start looking at things in real life, you know, because we don't... Because we never have all the facts, a lot of times there are actions that some characters take, you know, that, that don't seem to make any sense, and that doesn't work in a movie. So, you know, I, I, I really I really don't have a problem with the lack of accuracy, so to speak. And, you know, I, I feel like at, at the end of the movie, I understand why every character did everything that they did, and that that's enough for me. Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you just said there. All right, guys. Well, uh Unless you, unless anybody's got another point they want to bring up, I can wrap this up here. Well, no, yeah, one more thing. I just, um, just talking about it again from kind of a personal perspective. Because I mean, look, we, uh, you know, back to what you're saying. This, this thing, Facebook is. I think it has changed the world. Uh, literally, it, it really has. I mean, people catch their spouses cheating on them. Um, criminals are identified. Uh, you know, family members find out that they're still alive because of it. It's just, it's touched the human race in, in a way that, you know, it's, it's really would take a lot longer than 45 minutes to comprehend. Um, but what I think is interesting about it and what really resonated for me personally as a user on the site uh, is the scene where 
Zuckerberg has this revelation about the relationship status, um, uh, you know, setting. Yeah. Because that's what it was. I mean, for me anyway, it was, you know, I was single at the time, and that's what it was. It became a way to, like, you know, to to, to see who wanted to have sex. I don't know. You know, they, that's what they say in the movie. <laughs> right. It's, that's what it's about. I mean, yeah. that was the missing ingredient. Like, what's how can we make this about sex? And then it just became this, like, icebreaker. Let's be honest here, guys. I mean, you know, that's what it is. Let's let's be honest here. I mean, it, it's like this huge icebreaker that, that – you know, if they see you on Facebook, or if you see them on Facebook, then you you already have this like foundation upon which you can build whatever the relationship or the connection is going to be. And and you know, and I think that the, the fact that the movie acknowledged that that the site didn't really catch fire until sex became a part of it. Well, I think that's certainly the case for uh, for how it how it expanded because this is a phenomenon that started in colleges and you know just like the final clubs basically as he said at the beginning you know that's that's the driving force behind most of the things most people do in college so that it makes sense that that's how it took off i think it's obviously become about so so much more than that and it you know but I think that's perfectly understandable that, that that's a – I mean, look, that's pretty uh, it's a pretty powerful motivating factor for a lot of things in the world. So it makes sense that that's what would be the initial spark for what turned Facebook into essentially the most important communication tool in the world. Well, and, and there's no question that it has changed the world. It's certainly changed my life in that – you know, I have no shame in saying that's where I first talked to my fiance on Facebook. For, you know, it, like Graham said, it's an icebreaker. And uh, now we're getting married. And, you know, in thinking about this movie, uh, it was interesting to think about whether or not that would have happened if it hadn't been for this website. One thing I really enjoyed, uh, you know, the very the second scene of the movie after we've had the breakup scene at the very beginning Um the opening credit sequence, you know, I've only seen it once, but this one really stuck with me. It's like you got the great score by Trent Reznor, first of all, that punctuates it. But it's this guy running through campus. He's going back to start this face mash website, and it's this guy, Mark Zuckerberg, walking with his head down, looking at his feet as he walks through campus. And he's walking past all these people who are walking together, and they're in relationships. But it's this, this lone figure and these people have no idea that he's about to change the world. He's about to to change their lives with this idea. There was just, you know, that's the great scene that stuck with me because I mean that's the way I interpreted it. Maybe that's not what Fincher wanted to suggest, but um, you know that that was one of the moments in the movie where I did get the feeling, you know, wow, this this thing is was huge. It is huge. It's like it, and you know, of course, it deserves to, to for there to be a movie made about it. Uh, did you did you guys pick up pick up on that in, in that scene at all? Well, I love that reading of it, Graham. I I didn't think about it when I was watching it, but it's I mean that's that's a great. I mean, now that you say it, it certainly sounds like that's probably what Fincher was going for. This idea that that you know because of course I didn't I didn't know where he's walking to as I'm watching that scene, but obvi- obviously what what's happening there is he's been set off uh, by this combination of. You know, frustration of not being able to uh, be successful with women, 
some anger, you know, feeling isolated, and and that's basically what drives him to go start this phenomenon. Is these can you know these feelings of social frustration basically, and and like you said, there's all these examples around him of the opposite of that of people who are socially successful in the in the old pre Facebook world. They were able to be uh, successful socially around him, and you know he's he's sort of walking through that. I, you can imagine sort of formulating in his head as he goes back to his dorm of what he's going to do, how he's going to sort of get revenge on the rest of the world that's that's able to do something that he's not. And that's sort of perfectly bookended by the last shot of the movie. Sure, yeah, that he's, you know, he's still he's still frustrated in the end, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, Matt, can you speak to that? I mean, Corey and I both talked about it, but can I just get your opinion, you know, as somebody that works on social media and that's used the site before, do, do you agree that, that, or can you try to explain a little bit the, the, the how how Facebook acts as an icebreaker with people? Well, you know, it's basically... Why is that? I, I guess, for one, there's definitely a level of removal that you get with 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 Facebook. Now, a lot of the stuff about it it's also true of something like MySpace. It's just that obviously Facebook, through its through its layout and through so many of the ways it packages itself, makes it more usable and it makes it more likely for you to reach out and contact other people. But, you know, I, I can tell you that the reason it was successful for college people as an icebreaker, let's say, is the same reason it's now successful for business people, which is what I primarily, you know, am, am helping people to use it for, which is that there there are people out there walking around on campus that you don't know, and you think, I wish I, I, you know, I wish I had an excuse to talk to that person. I wish there was some way I knew them. And a lot of times it turns out that you're just one degree of separation away from them, you know, that you've got one person who you're friends with, and that person's also friends with them. And so, you know, there there were probably there's so many cases where that's the, that exists, that connection exists and we just don't know about it. But what Facebook does there is, you know, you go look that person up on Facebook and odds are if you're on the same campus with them, you're going to see you have one, two, three mutual friends. So it, it it gives you that excuse, it gives you that connection to another person that that gives you you know because it's just too weird to go up to somebody you don't know and and start talking to them and make that connection and basically Facebook draws the line between you and them and it shows you how far away you are from being able to connect to them and you know like I said people use that in business because now if they want to get in touch with another uh, business person in town they can say well look there's there's this link between us and I just want to bridge that link. And, I, you know, this person can help me do that or however it is. Socially, it really works the same way. You know, it's it's just drawing the shortest possible line between you and somebody that you want to meet. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, it's, you know, you, when you when you sit down and think about it, it, it you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it really has changed the world. And I don't think that we have, as a society, have taken the time to step back and think about that and, you know, in all the different ways it has changed the world because we're using it every day still. 
you know? Yeah. I mean, right. it's like if the website just goes away or just becomes, you know, obsolete whenever that happens or for whatever reason, then that's when we'll actually be able to say, wow, what did this thing do? What was this thing? What was good about it? What was bad about it? Um, I just want to say to that, you know, hopefully you guys will get a chance to see Catfish because, um, you know, people might write it off as a gimmick, you know, the trailer, blah, blah, blah. But I think it is as powerful a commentary on Facebook specifically and what it what it has the power to do to society as anything you're going to find here. And it actually, on that level, resonated with me uh, much um, in a much stronger way than the social network. I'm really looking forward to seeing Catfish. Just don't read in, man. Don't read anything about it. Yeah, know? no, I yeah. Uh, my friend Ryan Mazur told me not to, so I'm not. He he also highly recommended it. it it's just I, was, I think I said to Matt the other night that it's a lot like Bubble, in a way where it'll it'll frustrate you a little bit maybe at the beginning, but then once you realize what's going on, once you kind of see the turn, then you. <laughs> You kind of feel violated a little bit, but in a good way. Like you've really been worked by this by the the filmmakers here, um, and and you know it's it's one of those movies that you're gonna have you might have a, one reaction after it's over, but then it's gonna stick with you, and later you're gonna you know think about it in a totally different way. So, good stuff. All right, well guys, thanks for joining me. We're gonna wrap it up, and uh, sure. I'm sure we'll be talking about this movie again come January, February. Uh, and, uh, and you know, we'll be talking about it, I'm sure, in comparison to some of the other contenders we see later this year along the way. But, uh, guys, thanks again. Uh, everybody, please go and, uh, by the way, follow us on Facebook at uh, just search for filmnerds.com in the search bar on Facebook and uh, like the page. You can get all the updates uh, and see all of our new blog posts as we make them. The Back to the Movies feature and the Great Scenes feature, we got some new stuff coming up there soon as well. Uh, guys, thanks again, and I'll talk to you guys soon. All right, thanks, Thank man. See ya. Bye. It's quite possible that I'm your third.